Merry Christmas, everybody. So good to see you. Go ahead and pull out your Bibles and something to take notes with tonight. Hey, kiddos, y'all got those busy bags? No. Well, I think you missed out on that one. Miss Mindy told me that if you big kids write down some notes and turn them in at the end, you can get a candy cane on your way out. So just saying. Miss Mindy's got the candy canes. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one. If you don't have something to take notes with, I recommend it. God might speak something to you or you'll have something to mess with if you get real bored. Matthew chapter one. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you're there, say, Merry Christmas. Look at the person behind you or in front of you. Just make sure you look them in the eye and say, Merry Christmas. Spread the Christmas cheer. <laughs> My baby's back in the front row this week. She's been in kids, and now I'm distracted again. As Heather would say, just look at her clip. Look at her hair clip. All right, go ahead and stand up for the reading of the Word of God. We're going to read out of Matthew chapter 1. Tonight, it's got a few minutes to spend with you. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I'm just going to go ahead and say, y'all better be ready for this. This is going to be a second. <laughs> Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Shout out Judah Caruana. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, mm. and Nashon, the father of Salmon, we'll say, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph. Kids, you taking notes? And Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jehaniah was the father of Shaul, and Shaul the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan, I don't know, the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So, all, somebody say, all, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations, and then all of the sudden, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All 
this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Somebody say it with me, which means God with us. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Finally. I know you cannot believe I just made you stand for the reading of that on Christmas Eve. But I want you to stick with me for a few short minutes as I want to share a short message with you this Christmas Eve. If you're taking notes, you can just write this simple title, Worth the Wait. Worth the Wait. That genealogy I just made you read and made you listen to, you know the genealogy that you skip whenever you read the book of Matthew? Let's be honest. That genealogy that you couldn't wait for me to be done with just a second ago, that, that genealogy... In, in one way, it is kind of like a shortened summary of the Cliff Notes version of a brief overview of the entire Old Testament. So that, those few verses, like, you got that much? That's kind of what those genealogies was telling you. Kind of that, that, that bit right there. So in, in Genesis chapter 12, in the beginning of the Bible, if you're not familiar with the Bible, God calls a man named Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to make a nation out of you. You're going to be my people. And I'm going to show myself to you so that you can show me to the nations. You're going to, I'm going to bless you with that so that you can be a blessing to all the nations. He doesn't choose Abraham or these people because of their riches. He doesn't choose them because of their strength. But he chooses them because they will just be the chosen ones because somebody has to be. Somebody has to be the one to stand up and show the world and expose the world to the knowledge of the one true God. And the Old Testament goes on. If you've ever read it, it sometimes feels like on and on and on. Like this genealogy, it goes on and on, generation after generation of stories of God revealing himself to each generation, revealing himself to his people. And generation after generation, his people turn away from him. They, instead of looking to him, they begin to search the world to fulfill them. They want kings. They have prophet, prophets. They've got good times and bad times. They prosper and they suffer. They see the glory of God time and time again, but generation after generation after generation, they turn Turn to other gods, turn to other spirits. Ultimately, it is the story of man turning to himself. And the Old Testament, in that way, isn't just a history of the Jewish people in the ancient Near East. The Old Testament, in that way, it really is the story of all of humanity. Generation after generation after generation. Turning away from God turning away from his promises, turning away from his presence in favor of self. If you've been with us this year at all, we've been talking a lot about this. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks on Sunday mornings here in December, we've been talking about this idea that, that God is worth the wait. He is worth the wait. The, the invitation that God gives us, it, it, it is worth it to take up his invitation to wait on him and be strengthened by him. It is, it is worth it. The encouragement is, is worth it to wait on the Lord. We, we do have a need to wait on the Lord. And all that we've been saying and this whole idea that God is worth the wait, it is true. 
It is what the Bible tells us. And, but it is not first. It is not the first thing that the Bible tells us. What I'm trying to say is that Matthew chapter one that we just read is not really about humanity being patient enough to wait on God. Matthew chapter one is about God being patient enough to stick with humanity. Matthew chapter one isn't 42 generations of good people waiting on a distant God to finally get off his booty and do what he promised he would do. This is 42 generations of a good God waiting on bad people to receive his invitation, to turn aside from their wicked ways, to receive his mercy and come to him. Generation after generation after generation. God was an idol for 42 generations. God wasn't doing nothing. God wasn't doing nothing in the Old Testament, waiting finally for the New Testament. God was moving the whole time. God was accomplishing his purposes the whole time. God was near the whole time. God was working the whole time. There may be times in your life where you have looked back and wondered, where was God and what was he doing? Why did God seem so far away? You might be there right now wondering, what is it that is taking God so long? God's moving. God's always moving. Hear me tonight. God is always accomplishing his purposes. Even in what feels like so much waiting, God is always inviting you near to him. God is always working. You're allowed to say amen even on Christmas Eve. <laughs> See, human history, it is not, it is not the story of humanity waiting on God. Human history is the story of God faithfully, patiently, righteously, lovingly, willingly waiting on humanity. As a man, I know what it feels like to be waiting on God for a long time. As a man, I can empathize with you tonight. If you're in the middle of feeling like you've been waiting on God for a long time, wondering where he's been, wondering why he's not doing what you need him to do, wondering why he's letting things happen that you don't need him to be letting happen right now. I don't even know if that grammar was right, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> I understand, I understand how, it, how it feels if you're in that spot of waiting on God for a long time, and as a man, I can understand the frustration that comes with that. I can understand the frustration of the lonely nights in the dark rooms calling out and feeling like it's hitting the ceiling. I can understand the frustration of feeling like you're working so hard to try to make this thing work, and it'd be nice if God could give you a little bit of help along the way. I understand. I, as a man, I understand that frustration of waiting on God and wondering day in and day out, is this really worth it? 
is all this really worth the wait? As a man, I have, I have empathy and understanding for that, but as your pastor tonight, I, I have to add to that empathy. I have to add to that understanding a simple question for us to consider on Christmas Eve. A long time. A long time? We're, we're too small to even know what a long time is. Our lives, our lives in reality, they're, they're too short to know what a long time really is. The longest we can wait on God is one lifetime, max. So in one sense, yes, that's a long time because it's all we got. But just for a second, let's take ourself out of the center of that worldview. Take ourself out of the center of our faith. Take ourself out of the center of our perspective. Take ourself out of the center of our lifestyle and consider for a moment the faithfulness of God. We, we can't really comprehend how faithful God is. I can't really explain it to you tonight mainly because I don't even really understand all of it. And even if I did, I still wouldn't be able to say it all that well. I'd probably just tell you to read your Bible, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> we, we can't even understand the faithfulness of God. We can't comprehend it. But were we to try, maybe we could start with 42 generations. That's how faithful God is. Maybe in trying to understand the faithfulness of God, let's start at 70 times 7. If we want to try to comprehend and understand how, how faithful is God in the middle of what feels like waiting, maybe let's start before the beginning and then let's look towards past the end. Let's start there. If we want to know how faithful God is, let's start with Christmas. Let's start with looking at Christmas to get a view of how faithful God is in the middle of what feels like our longest waiting. There's a lot that I would like to know about God, that I would like to understand about God, that I would like to explain about God, that God apparently doesn't seem to find necessary to explain to me in terms that I can understand them. Anybody like me in that? Can we be honest in church on Christmas? The one thing I do know is that he's God which means I'm not. And I don't really know all of you, but since I know he's God, I know enough about you that you're not either. <laughs> and what's great about that, but what's also kind of frustrating is that that means he's in charge. <laughs> that means he's in charge. And so if he doesn't find it completely necessary to explain something to me in terms that I can understand them, well, I guess he's right about that. I guess he's right about that. But the flip side of that is that if I can set all that aside for a second, not because it's worthless, but just set it off to the side for a second, all those questions, all those things I'd wish he'd explain, all those things I wish I could understand, if I can set that off to the side for just a moment, I will see that in the midst of all of that, he has for sure given us understanding about what we need to know. If he's determined it's what we need to know, he's right. 
What he has made very clear to us is that he is God and there is no other. He has created us to know him now and for eternity. We have all sinned against him. And the wages for that sin is death, both in this life and for eternity. In this baby, Jesus is the gift of God to us, eternal life. In this baby, God became flesh. And he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, not a royal prince in a palace, but a naked baby in a manger. In this man, Jesus, God lived our life. He knows what it is. He knows what it is to face joy, laughter, pain, Depression, fear, loss, friendship, betrayal, admiration, hatred, loneliness, what looks like success, what looks like defeat. And yes, he understands what it is to face death itself in the most clear and most mind blowing terms. He who knew no sin became your sin so that you could become his righteousness. And tonight we commemorate that he has come. He has come. Grace. Grace. Not by works so that you can't boast about it, but by faith. Received by faith. And what God has made clear to us is that when you stop waiting and you receive him, you are born again. You are adopted as his child by his spirit. The old passes away and you get a new life. You get a new life, free from your sin, filled with the power of God, to know him and obey him and walk with him now and for all of eternity. What God has made clear to us at Christmas is that you don't have to wait on God. God has come. God has come. So now, you're either going to wait to receive him until after you understand him more, or you're going to wait to understand him more until after you receive him. It may not be the decision that you wish, but it is the decision that God has put in front of all of us. Christmas reminds us that we don't need to wait any longer for God to come. He has come. But like we've been talking about this month, if you haven't been with us, there's kind of the other side of the Christmas story. That must be mentioned in the same breath. God has come in Christmas, but on the flip side, we're also waiting for his return. We are waiting for his return. And what God has made clear to us in the middle of that waiting, and then the middle of that lack of understanding, what God has made clear is that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, 
No matter what you believe, no matter how long the wait seems, that day, that day that he returns and you go to stand before him is coming. And just like Christmas came, that day will come as well. So Christmas makes clear to us not everything we ever want to know, but Christmas does make clear to us something very, very simple. God has come. God is with us. And God is coming. So don't wait. Receive your king.